get the mug wipe. Look at that. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, gang. Good morning. Good morning to all the folks in the chatterooning. Lots of chat already. Hey, we've got people from all kinds of different places. UK, Texas, someone else on the West Coast, I think, was saying hi from Minnesota. That's very cool. Yeah, Portland, too. I mean, I was surprised. Uh, you know, maybe our new time is actually uh, being helpful to our friends on the West Coast. Yeah, would be good to... It would be good to know that we actually made a good decision. <laughs> so um, trivia fact, um, because one of my favorite clients of all time uh, was based out of Portland um, and Ottawa, where our head office is, is located, is basically uh, the same level of latitude as Portland, Oregon. People think of Canada, North, etc. But uh, yeah, we're all Portland and Ottawa both hang out roughly on the 45th parallel, which is, you know, halfway between the equator um and the moon in new york city so you know it's all good ladies and gentlemen your nugget of knowledge for the day i yeah. I, I think we could just call it a wrap now like leave them yeah. We're going on a high note micro learning in action thanks everybody see you next week nice nice jit learning chris that was uh, <laughs> uh yeah well, excellent. Hey, we're already doing chit-chat thing. Gang, we have Mark with us again, Mark Shepard. Mark was with us roughly about a year ago again. Mark, remind us where you're joining us from geographically. I am joining us uh, from, uh, well, latitudinally south uh -huh. of you uh, in the east uh, greater Toronto area, the booming metropolis of Whitby, Ontario. Nice. Excellent. In the burbs, the 905, as we call it here. The 905. Oh, is that what you call it? Yes. Yeah, that's yes. the area code. As opposed to the 6, which is yes. short for the 416, although um, Ottawa's area code starts with 613, and I've always felt that we should have been just calling it the 6 up here, you know, yeah. anyway. Too, too little, too late, my friend. I know. You guys got this, like, guy who decided to make it the thing, and we it, never could it, displace it. it. Listen, if, if you want Drake, we'll take Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Well, we'll take them both. There you go. By hey. the way, we're not trading Alex Trebek. That's that's a no-show. That's a that's a non-starter. So he's 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 a Sudbury boy. Alex Trebek. We claim him in Ottawa though because he went to the University of Ottawa. So yeah, he grew up he grew up in uh, grew up in Sudbury, and of course he got his his game show start hosting Reach for the Top in uh, in Sudbury. So. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, so there's some moldy oldie Northern Ontario TV celebrity trivia for you. Yep, yep. Look at I'm all the things Eric, people I learned already. We're dropping the nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, excellent. So we, now we know where Mark's from. Mark, just I guess tell us a little bit about your your bio, biographical details too. You know uh, how you got into this biz. Remind us what you do, what kind of things you hang out with, what, what things you think about. Well, uh, I'm another one of these uh, accidental uh, or incidental instructional designers and L&D folks. Uh, I've been working uh, in L&D in some form or another since I was 20, which is a long, long, long time ago, uh, thanks to the Army Reserve. Uh, working, uh, been working on the corporate side at L&D for 20 plus years um, and have seen all the changes from 
the early days of companies like CB Systems, who were going to be the great classroom killer, uh, to uh, to all of the new stuff we're seeing with XAPI and AR and VR and AI, all these really cool things. Uh, I currently run my own consulting practice called Two Sphinx Innovations. Uh, it's a dreadful commute down the stairs you see behind you into uh into the into the office uh tripping over the cats and my nearly 11 year old so life is uh life is good as an independent <laughs> i uh, yeah you take advantage of cloud stuff all the time which just happens to be our topic today funny how that uh funny how that works out but uh i have to say that i uh I think my job, uh, even as an inside corporate uh, corporate L&D person, um, would have been that much harder without things like the cloud. Um, it, and it's been interesting to watch how the, the world has somewhat changed. I mean, we use so many cloudy things um, in our regular lives, and yet there's still a lot of um, technicalities around it sometimes within, say, the work life or the corporate life. Agreed. Um, I was having a conversation recently with a couple of um, uh, with a couple of uh, clients talking about uh, the issues they face because they want to do more work in in the cloud, having a central repository from which to do work. But of course, companies have um, things have decided that oh, well, maybe we're concerned about intellectual property departure, and so we're going to put up firewalls and all those kinds of things. So uh, it's almost like the building a better mousetrap uh, scenario where people will find a way around it. But but it is, it is frustrating when you've got uh, those kinds of concerns, rightly or wrongly, uh, or you have a less than enlightened mindset for uh, uh, organizations who say, oh, well, we're not going to work in the cloud. We're going to do it all internally. And, and we love our client server environment. And that's all we need. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jennifer uh, makes a, a point in the chat there about uh, concerns, particularly sort of around, you know, security. Um, and yes. here's an interesting thing, you know, when the servers are in the US and not in the UK, for example, and uh, uh, we, we often encounter that kind of concern too, about the geographic location of you know, servers and services, et cetera, that can cause some kinds of uh, security concerns for people, so. Yes, yeah, and and it's been like that. It's been like that for a little while, and now the uh, when you had there's like European Union's uh, uh, right. resolutions on, on uh, privacy and all that kind of stuff, um, it, it, it does add a layer of complexity to the work that you're, to the work that you're doing. So I, I, I acknowledge that, Cloud-based uh, working environments aren't necessarily going to work for everybody. I know uh, when I was on my contract for the Royal Canadian Air Force a few years ago, you know, cloud-based stuff just just didn't happen. It simply didn't happen, and and we were stuck with a lot of legacy-type workflow for doing our instructional design with with distributed stakeholders, but also with vendors who were operating at a distance too. Mm. Yeah. When you're thinking about the workflow, uh, Jennifer drops in another comment too that that made me think about sort of um, governance of content and stuff like that. And I know it, in this transition over the last almost twenty-ish years, I'm thinking mm -hmm. since the yeah. cloud kind of became a thing, um, 
you know, we, we've gotten a lot better and, but I still think there is, um, there's need to have a better understanding of what types of things yes. the different pieces of the organization will allow. And uh, sometimes we take that for granted. I know I did when it first started happening. I thought, well, heck, if YouTube can do all this cool stuff, I should obviously be able to just upload a whole bunch of videos internally and, and you know, be able to train people and this will be great. But then you run into all those roadblocks. So I guess part of the workflow has to be understanding that governance aspect of it, right? I, I'd agree with that, Brent. And I think the other element uh, from a practical point of view that people need to consider is having a good project management practice, particularly in things like risk assessments. Um, all too often, I, and it's certainly happened to me, I see the instructional designer or the L&D person getting saddled with the project management responsibilities as well. And and unfortunately, as, as we know, it means that we can do two jobs badly uh, or instead of doing one particularly well. And unless you've got a good um, information management background and a good sense of, of what you're sending, how sensitive things are, uh, and, and what the risks mean when you put it outside your immediate corporate control, um, that's when people aren't able to make informed decisions and they, and they tend to go with an, uh, the binary on or off mm. decision. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, and, and I admit, I have said a lot of unkind things about project managers in the, in, in the past, but uh, this is certainly one area where their skills are absolutely valuable. Um, you know whether it's whether it's the risk assessment, the knowledge management piece, and and how you manage it. And I think I, I think those risks can be mitigated. Uh, again, it's not going to work for everybody, but I'd like to think that there are certainly possibilities. Yeah, well, it's been interesting to watch because um, you, you know over the past two decades we've gone from sort of the de facto of putting your LMS on your own organization servers to it's actually more the outlier now that uh, that something like that is required because the vast majority of LMSs are typically anyway, SaaS or, or cloud-based as a, as a, at least a preference or, or, or what have you. So, you know, the, the, the things, you know, do shift over time uh, in terms of comfort levels and, and et cetera. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, even Microsoft now going with, you know, with its, with its uh, office 365 and all of the web-based um, web-based offerings that you have for it. So, I mean, they're operating, mm -hmm. You know, private cloud, private cloud type services. Anybody who's using G Suite for for its business purposes, and I've worked in an organization that ran everything through G Suite, um, which was actually quite nice for distributed for distributed work. Mm -hmm. I was. I'm curious about um, in the chat. Everybody that's hanging out with us today, um, are are you guys aware? Because I know I wasn't until. I started working with vendors and whatnot, like the locations of servers. And we don't have to go too deep on the back end of things. I mean, and we should probably keep this pretty instructional design workflow related, but, but these questions always come up. So I'm just curious where everybody's at in the chat with the whole idea of maybe you're in Australia, maybe you're in New Zealand, maybe you're in the UK, maybe you're in Canada and the, the company you're working with has all their servers with, you know, in the U.S. or something like that. Is that does that bother everybody? Or does everybody understand that that's part of the whole cloud issue? Hmm. We're getting a range of different reactions. I mean, Jennifer has pointed out earlier. Um, 
for them, it's uh, the ideal or, or the, the attempt is to make sure that it's an, e, uh, an EU server um, being UK based. And there's been a couple of notes about uh, like Canadian government uh, related things, uh, making sure that uh, data is housed in Canada, for example, which, you, you know, you can see the, the, the sensibleness. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Patriot Act, Patriot Act um, in the US, when that was invoked or, or put in place, et cetera, we did start hearing uh, particularly ourselves, for, more from, from client teams outside of the US, um, wanting to make sure where the servers were located so that they were not subjected to um, the, the perceived potential anyway for, for security and privacy that uh, the Patriot Act um, certainly seemed to evoke for many people from that perspective. Yeah, just I just wanted to throw that out there, and just, I'm just curious, you know, where where everybody was at with that. And if you if you don't understand that that's an issue, and you're not sure where you're at, um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that would be willing to talk to you about it and whatnot. We don't want to take up too much time talking about it today. I was just curious uh, to see if the whole back end tech side of things, uh, if everybody kind of had an idea or knew that it was an issue or cared or wondered, you know, if that might be. The thing because sometimes people wonder why execs make the decisions they do and the only answer instructional designers get is no you've been denied that tool or that thing or whatever right and they're like what i don't understand yeah. why and because secret reasons <laughs> no cloud for you no cloud for <laughs> right? you i mean Next. yeah so yeah it's good to know that they're legit so as um instructional designers though and the work that we do um, you know, what's the best way for us to approach it? I think just based on, based on what I've done, and I admit there've been a lot of times when some of, some of this cloud work, the revelations were incidental, accidental, or, um, or wow, look how much time I just saved by doing this a different way. But I think there is a lot of planning that would have to go into the into the early stages of any engagement, whether it's internal or external, and um, and how you're actually managing the communication between the instructional designer, the SME, uh, and your your purchaser, your approver, your consumer, those different stakeholder groups that you have to that you have to consider. Um, and and determine how are you ensuring that all these people are actually getting all the information they need to make the decisions that are within their scope to be made without spending time having a sense of where all these people are and and even more importantly when they get engaged in the process as as i think everybody in this uh you know in this audience has has experienced they've probably come up with projects where at the 11th hour oh uh, by the way this has to get signed off by our you know vp of cool stuff uh before it actually goes out the door and you've put in you know 180 hours worth of work into this project and then you've got somebody who has never seen it has never seen all the changes and then boom you know they've they they have the the, the mighty ban hammer to determine whether or not you're you're going forward things like that you can lump that into into risk mitigation but having a good communications protocol is is, is a is a great yeah. starting point mm -hmm. yeah i think it's like many things um you know in our world as well as in the general business world if you um if you can find tools that help you solve a problem and the benefits are you know apparent either from a dollar or uh 
you know, budget slash or, or risk or, you know, improved responsiveness, et cetera, uh, time turnarounds, those kinds of things. Um, if you're solving a problem, then, you know, I think people's, people's ears are more open and more, um, you know, able to, as opposed to simply saying, we'd like to, well, what's, what's, what's in it for me or what's the why or what's in it for the company, right? So. Absolutely. And, and this is where, the, the the instructional designers trust relationship really plays a big role, particularly if you're bringing a client uh, or a stakeholder through a process that they have never tackled before. Uh, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of resistance. So, I mean, change management 101, you've got to you've got to have some kind of proof of concept. There's got to be some some come along with me. Let's give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, you may have to go back to doing something more more manual, but uh, giving people the opportunity to experience it becomes becomes important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, nobody's um, immune to this kind of a thing. I still um, work in Word, and I prefer to save them locally on my computer instead of putting them, you know, up. Uh, you know, so, and that's just me being. I don't know, habituated to that, I yes. guess, or, or something too. So, uh, gosh, I've been doing cloud stuff for not so long, and yet, you know, there's still the parts of things that I still keep local. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that because I think there are a lot of business processes that still just haven't quite transferred into the cloud just yet. Some of the some of the ones that we do, right? I mean, I think I think there's a lot of people that still. You know, at the end of the day, email reigns supreme, right? And sometimes the workflow hasn't gotten into a browser yet. I mean, even if your email is in a browser, if you're using G Suite or whatever, but it's it's not something that's been turned into an app or a process or or been integrated into the tool that you use or whatever and, and becomes part of the work that you do. You still just try to rally people together around an email or two, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, change is hard, but the, the cloud does make everything so much better. I mean, as three old guys sitting here talking about this kind of stuff we can we can go oh you know remember back when we had to hand code that and we didn't have this thing called the browser and everything was sat on your laptop and <laughs> but i don't think anybody wants to hear about that uh, my laptop weighed 15 pounds and i liked it it, <laughs> it was a pentium 133 um but you know you're you're absolutely right brent and i think that um it, uh, I don't know whether we want to throw the blame at Bill Gates for this, but working in uh, the LAN type environments, the whole client server framework. Um, and yeah, I suppose we can push that back to, uh, you know, we can push that back to to mainframe and mid range days too. that that this is this is how we operate and storage was all supposed to be local and communications practices didn't evolve. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of organizations are operating on the assumption uh, or the, the mindset of, well, it ain't broken, so we're not going to try to fix it. Well, yeah, it's not broken. I could still be driving a 1972 Ford F100 or F150. Yeah, it ain't broken, but I can probably get a more fuel efficient vehicle uh, and do things a little bit differently. Uh, rather than stick with the old with the old guzzler because I can't find leaded gas for it anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, Peter's Peter's noting in the comments he wrote his thesis on a portable computer that was the size of a sewing machine. 
So, well, the nice part about that era was they all came with their own wheels. So you could, you know, drag them yes. behind you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Days, days of things like and the, the hype. And the little, and the little suction a... cup thing for you to put the phone handle in to go uh, ahead and get connected back to the office. Yes, yes. At, at 1400 baud or something like that. <laughs> Blazing speeds. That. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So what aspects of the work that we do is um has pretty solidly transferred into the cloud and and how can people get more use out of them from your experience like what what's working for you as a consultant that works in the cloud that de deals with all this kind of stuff the 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 first real um wow moment for me in terms of in terms of benefits of the cloud was working in was being able to do reviews with a distributed group of stakeholders. Um, and it didn't matter whether it was a plan for, in, for instructor-led training uh, or whether I was doing reviews of, um, reviews of an e-learning asset, but having the cloud uh, as a central repository to gather all that information, uh, whether it was synchronously or asynchronously, just made a world of difference. It, when I first got into to building e-learning stuff, yeah, so we can start calling it, you know, pretty much almost 20 years ago, um, you know, if, if I wanted to do it, well, I'd have to print out each screen and then I'd have to physically give copies to people because um, because they couldn't figure out this newfangled thing called review module in Microsoft Word, you know, Word 98 or whatever the heck it was. Um, and then I would have to uh, dust off my Excel skills and then try to put all these comments together so I could see what everybody was doing. So just the, the sheer amount of labor that was involved in that process was was arduous and people are wondering, well, you know, I gave you the reviews and I want these changes made and well, that's great. But there's six other people who have basically stomped all over your commentary <laughs> saying, no, that's not going to happen because they're all doing it in isolation. And what was really frustrating was that even though this was an internal project, I could have gotten everybody together to do this in a meeting, but trying to get on people's calendars, well, that was, you know, that was next to impossible. Yeah. Um, where I also found it valuable was when I did have to deal with clients who were at a distance. Um, a project I did for the David Suzuki Foundation here in, uh, uh, out west in, in Vancouver, uh, working in the Toronto area. Uh, as I've told people this story a number of times, we did the entire project in the cloud, including the reviews. And the only time I met somebody from that project was when I was in the sound studio in Toronto with Dr. Suzuki recording the voiceovers for the project. But everything else was wow. done asynchronously. And that time difference um, became irrelevant because we could almost operate working, uh, working around the clock. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the term asynchronous and Angela's popped a note in here. I incorporate metacognitive journaling into my asynchronous, there's that word, learning work with remote learners. I built a system using cloud tools, easier for digital logistics than email, but some learners, uh, I still do it with email until I can convert them. Alerts go through email, but the data is collected and managed inside the uh, inside the cloud-based tool. Yeah, so the, the, I mean, that whole idea of, of asynchronicity, of being able to put something out there and then based on other people's schedules, they can then either, you know, contribute or, or uh, you know, work with it, et cetera. Um, 
you know, uh, you, you, sp you spend, that becomes sort of like a second nature kind of a thing. You're, um, you know, you're putting stuff out there and then you're on to your next thing while, while that other stuff is percolating. People can be completely on the other side of the world with, you know, a, a completely flipped, uh, you know, day schedule. And uh, you wake up in the morning and stuff's there for you. It's kind of cool. Exactly. And one of the other areas where it has really become, uh, where it's really become helpful for me is even in the design and prototyping phase for any learning solution, whether it becomes, uh, whether it turns out to be instructor led or hybrid uh, or e-learning, if I can give people a picture of what this looks like, that picture is hosted in a cloud i can grab people's comments they can see other people's comments they can upvote they can downvote they can do all this kind of thing and so it's like having a whiteboard and you've got people around the meeting it's just you're not all meeting at the at the same time uh which i found to be yet another another great uh another great time saver and also the cl because cloud tools have evolved to let us see the the history we can get rollbacks on different versions all of that kind of control has meant that I haven't had to go back to that client server mentality of saying, well, I better save, you know, this is now version 1.6 on my C drive, um, you know, instead of storing it, storing it somewhere else, you know, I'm backing up everything because I don't trust, because I don't trust my hard drive. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, it, it, and, then, plus. and then being expected to somehow remember after a project is done that you should actually move it to the S drive so that it's, you know, on the company network which yes. nobody remembers to do. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. no. And then heaven forbid your own computer crashed because before you actually put it there and now things are, are lost. So yeah, lots yes. of um, lots of pains that we've experienced that this kind of an approach often helps us address pretty directly. So and and I'm still astounded to to find um, to find organizations that seem content with this kind of uh, with this kind of activity, and I I don't know that anybody has actually given them a cost analysis to say, here's all the overhead time that you have spent performing these tasks, and and that includes you know server time, SME time, you know the amalgamation, the collation, and and uh, uh, compilation time that it takes to get people's feedback and i've always believed that the less i work in isolation from from my clients um whether internal or external the the more effective it becomes because then our vision is being formed concur as concurrently as we can get it without it happening you know if, even if it doesn't happen in real time but shaping this vision together and we're not playing broken telephone or broken email and oh my god you know they've replied to all and i don't need to be on this thread now um you know when when a couple of comments will a couple of comments on a cloud-based display will say more than you know 20 emails ever could mm -hmm. um go ahead brent I was just going to say that I, I think I think those are two really strong aspects that everybody needs to be thinking about here. And maybe, you know, that asynchronous side of what the cloud offers and the synchronous side of it, like, you know, just like being able to do this, what we're doing right yeah. now is 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 an incredible advancement in technology. And of course, this is all cloud and but all of those points that you mentioned mark about you know the asynchronous ability too of of you know not having to worry about 
time and location and all that kind of stuff. But then nowadays being able to do live with a whole bunch of people, I mean, you know, you, you get somebody's notes, maybe you don't understand it. You could do a quick a comment on their note, send it off to them, or you could just ping them really fast and say, Hey, can you just jump on the quick call? Click this link right here. Boom. They're in your chat done. Move on. Right. It doesn't yeah. have to be set up, you know, 45 minutes on my calendar and, you know, and then we'll talk in a week. It's like, ah, no, I just have this one question, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't remember, uh, you know, which business school did the, did the study, but they're talking about the amount of time or the percentage of time during the workday that people spend sorting email um, and just managing it. And, and I think too many people are ruled by their inboxes. Um, I've, I've been in a couple of organizations where I, I, I you know, happen to see the, a subfolder structure that was probably in the hundreds from an inbox. And, and I keep thinking that, you know, it's no wonder things fall, you know, through the cracks or fall by the wayside because you're, you're, you're having to spend time coming up with your own taxonomy or ontology for just for your email which is just supposed to be messaging. And I admit, I'm as guilty of email hoarding as anybody else, but I try not to be ruled by my by my inbox. You know, all of my project data needs to be in a cloud framework, whether it's a whether it's a project management uh, or task tool that I'm using, or whether I've integrated that into one of the tools that I'm leveraging for design and, and presentation of info. Uh, it, it's gotta be in there. I don't necessarily trust my email to be able to do it. I don't, more importantly, I don't want to have to hunt through my email to be able to do it. <laughs> and, and the other thing too, is that some environments, and I discovered this with a project I'm, I'm uh, working on with my, my colleague, Kevin Thorne, um, the, the SME that we're, that we're working with, when she sends me an email, the attachments get stripped out for some oh. reason, but they don't when they go to Kevin. And this is the only person that I've had that I've had an issue with. I used to run into the same problem in my in my Air Force contract. I would get a windmail.dat as my only attachment when the when the the sender says, "Here's the next six attachments with revisions to this storyboard," um, and and I'd never see them. And unfortunately, Kevin is actually getting them. So we're using Dropbox to actually managing. All of that stuff, and that's not a specific endorsement or or recommendation for Dropbox. That's just the one thing that we've got that's actually working for all three of us. Just one of the many tools for exchanging big files and stuff like that these days, right? I mean, yeah. email has gotten a little bit better at it, but yeah, when there's security issues like that, uh, you know, Kevin's probably got a different kind of security, you know, access or yeah. something like that. And so he's a, he's on their white list for attachment <laughs> or something like that. Probably, you know, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm clearly, I'm clearly not. I'm just, I'm just a subcontractor. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really get to know what's going on. I just get my tasks. It's because you're Canadian. That, that <laughs> would be. be sending these files to that Canadian. We're going to have it, to. It, it must Kevin. be, it must be some kind of whatever they're calling NAFTA 2.0 USMCA, I think is the, is the new free trade agreement, um, you know, coming across the border, it gets embargoed. I might see it in 90 days. You never know. <laughs> and, and I'll have to pay, I'll have to pay 650 to actually get the email into my inbox because I'm paying duty on it. 
Mm -hmm. So we have a couple of questions in the question panel too that we'll throw mm -hmm. in. Um, one that we might be able to talk a little bit, Jennifer's tossed in, um, noting that she uses NetVibes um, and was asking about, uh, you know, best app for collating, collating all the various feeds or collaborative stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I actually hadn't heard of NetVibes and I just Googled it while, I, we, while we were doing this here. So, I, 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 But it does seem to be um, but sort of a, uh, a dashboard for news, social media, favorite websites, apps, and smart devices, all in one dashboard. Uh, um, I will add sounds like an RSS feed reader. <laughs> it, it, maybe with extra with extra things, it seems yes. like uh, thrown in. So yeah, um, and, and, and you know, I don't um, I don't actually use like a tool for all my social medias. I actually go to the limited social medias that I do. I go to them separately when I'm prepared to spend you know a chunk of time in each of them. Um, as opposed to running, you know, one thing and having them all come out of that, uh, out of that, into that one. Yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? That one aggregator or whatever. Yeah. yeah aggregator. I, I've, I've, uh, I tried a number of, uh, a number of different tools to sort of manage some of that. But like you, Chris, I found that it was because I'm using them, I'm already using them for different, very different purposes. I actually don't want those sorts of things aggregated. So, um, and most of the tools now are actually really good with um, with desktop integration for notifications and and things like that. So it's actually reasonably easy for me to stay on top of stay on top of those kinds of those kinds of things as they come in. Um, but the even just a simple task manager where you've got everybody tied in with those notifications, then you have a good sense of what's going on. And it's not something that has to be really, uh, really heavyweight. Um, you know, uh, like a cloud-based project management or task management tool, there's lots of them out there, um, have just been have just been a boon to the kind of work that, uh, that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, second question from Gold is, how do you break through the restrictions on L&D cloud-based tools? For a global company that has reservations that stem from the GDPR compliance, data privacy, and security, the GDPR, um, and I never remember what the initials are for, but that's the European uh, privacy uh, regulations that came yeah. into effect in the last couple of years. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, the the magic the the three magic words that start that conversation are how might we, and and if it's if it's not an external cloud. Um, there are a lot of internal, um, I will say, lowercase back office type structures and systems that are available that people can use for a lot of those purposes. And, um, and it's amazing what you can do even with internal tools to actually transform what your workflow and get you out of that site of inbox and flat file storage and, and versioning and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, even uh, so, again, not a specific pro uh, product in, uh, product endorsement, but I know that when I was working uh, with one of the hospitals here in Toronto, uh, we were making use of the SharePoint infrastructure to, to host updates and comments on documents as we were going. And that was a big shift for, for a lot of people, uh, particularly because some of them were just used to saying, okay, well, I'm going to take the copy of this instructor uh, guide that you've sent me. I'm going to print it out. I'm going to get out my red pen. I'm going to make comments on it and I'm going to send it back to you. Hope you can read my hieroglyphics, make the changes, to it as you're looking at hard copy on one side, screen on the other. Like I, I felt like somebody in a typing pool 
as I was going through it. And then I'd have to save it, email a copy back to them so that they could go through the cycle uh, all over again. Uh, Whereas, um, you know, being able to store it, uh, you know, through SharePoint, being able to have the commentary functions in place was a significant improvement. We weren't blasting through paper. I didn't have to worry about misinterpreting uh, somebody's comments or not being able to read somebody's comments. It sped up the process. More importantly, the other stakeholders who were involved in this process could see what we were doing. And that transparency just does wonders for overall trust on the project. Yeah, it's not just something that they have to get reports on, something they can actually take a peek and see, oh, stuff's ongoing, et cetera. Uh, and, yes. and then, you know, a lot of tools too, there's the the safety factor too, that, uh, you know, versioning, et cetera, as you up, update, you know, something new, et cetera, being able to have the rollbacks, et cetera, to previous things in case mm, this version goes, you know, way off base and we need to go back and then then you're not, again, searching your hard drive for a copy of something. And, uh, oh, exactly. Going, which and- one was it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, thing, let me let me just jump in here and just mention real quick the whole because I just looked at the the start.me that uh, I think Jennifer dropped in and mentioned and then the net vibes. And it just got me thinking that, um, you know, one of the things that I think we as an industry need to talk about a little bit more and we're, we're running out of time today. We need to wrap this up. But um, uh, that whole idea of dashboards, how do we use those dashboards t- like that to deliver training cons? Like how much of a. Uh, of your organization's learning culture can be improved by giving people access to tools like that. And I, you mentioned SharePoint. SharePoint has, I think, dashboard style capability, like a front page area that everybody yeah. can customize. And you can you know, get links and feeds from other content sources and aggregate them yourself all in one place. Is this a new digital literacy? Is this something we should be teaching our employees how to take it, advantage of? Is it part of the learning culture? It, you know, and I, I think, it, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of different things with it, but it's something we need to definitely look at. And I know, you know, a lot of different companies are out there trying to make hay with it and figure out how to, you know, make that kind of stuff work. But I yeah. think a lot of employees just don't even know how to make it useful for themselves. So there's a lot of culture stuff that needs to happen, but but I think it's super valuable. It It, it is. And I think this is where... Um, organizations who want to uh, really follow the practices in things like um, ITIL and ITSM need to be spending more time with their with their 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 consumers, their knowledge workers, to have a sense of how they're actually working and how we get past you know the the sneaker net, the email net for managing our workflow. I mean, SharePoint was a a, a great example, and it. And it doesn't take much to actually build some workflow automation into, um, you know, into your tasks. And, and instead, again, instead of managing it by email, somebody gets a notification, says, hey, you've got a document here that is now uh, set for your review. And it lets people plan their days a little bit, uh, a little bit more effectively. And, and I think that's something that we as, as L&D folks, you know, whether you're following rapid prototyping, whether you're following a successive approximation, or whether you're looking at some kind of agile framework, or even heaven forbid, you're, you're, using, you're only using Addy or some variation thereof. If you don't have a sense of where the information's going, who's getting it, 
what the decision points are, if you can't map that out, you're going to have a hell of a time actually trying to improve the workflow and, and force and I'll say force people into, into something different. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I was lucky a number of years ago, I was working for a guy who, even though he was at IT, was a, an Arthur Anderson, now Accenture trained business analyst. His ability to grasp workflows and the choke points on it was absolutely unparalleled. And I took a few lessons from him and Ken Waldron, God love you, wherever you are. Uh, it made a big difference for me in terms of how I approached my work too, because as soon as I could start seeing the choke points, then I'm looking for a new solution. And and if yeah. if there's one thing that L and D folks can take out of this is, you know, what is your what is your workflow? Where are the tools involved? Where's the manual processes involved? Where are you losing the most time? And uh, spend some time actually drawing that out back of napkin or whether you're going to use a tool like uh, like Miro, for example, or whether you want to do it in Visio or some other kind of mapping tool, heck, even plot it out on a whiteboard, figure out what the end to end is. And, and then your needs are starting to drive your tool selection, which is, you know, is something I've been I've been big on for years. Mm -hmm. Comes back to that solve a problem, right? Well, um, yeah, and, solve and a problem or improve things. So it's it's a great opportunity for L and D to to add more value to the business because you're not just solving, you know, a you know we need to produce more widgets for less cost, or we need people to be able to uh, explain and use and support our widgets, you know, faster for the customer. You're solving other problems as you go, and and I think that if we're not doing that, we're doing a disservice to the organizations that are funding us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's probably a good place for us to to bring ourselves to a wrap here today. There's been a few tools popped in. Don't forget, folks, if you missed the, the chat as you go by the recording, we'll have all of these things. And when you come back to it here in Crowdcast, you can skim through and see some of the other things that people have thrown in as tools, et cetera. Um, yeah, very cool. Lots of lots of cool things going on. Um, shout out to anybody going to DevLearn. We're, got to, we're going to do Idiotic live from the Mirage. No, not Mark. Oh, bummer, hey? Eh? Man. Sad, sad emoji. Sad face. Hashtag uh, sad face. Uh, the, uh, the link to the Hangout at, at DevLearn is there in the uh, in the chat. If you're in the Ottawa area and you haven't known about it or haven't signed up yet, on the 17th, um, uh, which is a Thursday ahead of DevLearn, we're doing a getting started in video here um, at, at our Ottawa yeah. headquarters here. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of cool learning uh, a great thing, a great chance to sort of get in on the basics of video if you haven't done uh, much of that, because it's become such a, an important part of the L&D world. So, and, yeah. Uh, don't forget to drop your two Sphinx link into the chat. Oh, yes. So that everybody knows how to find uh, Yes. It. You can find me at two Sphinx on Twitter. That is probably the best place to uh, best place to find me. I am rebuilding the website, so all you're going to see is coming back soon. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Mark. This has been a great conversation. Probably one Always we need to continue for a while. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer, the and just for Jennifer, we are actually doing the idiotic episode that week from uh, the Mirage at DevLearn with the meetup sort of around it a bit. So you'll definitely be able to hang out with us for the regular idiotic session uh, but those who are there can come a little bit early and uh, have a coffee with us and um, it'll be awesome always fun to you know connect with people directly even though the chat here is always awesome too so indeed very cool 
All right. It's time to dance out of here. Thanks again, everybody. Have a fantastic week. Thanks, gang. Woo. Bug wipe. <laughs> I still have some coffee left. Uh, have a great rest of the day, gang. We'll Take care, everybody. Thanks for being here, folks. Thanks, guys.